Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I am your host, Daniel, the lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange, where we run online courses and online mentorship. So head to tkex.org. We are also running a 10-minute complimentary mentoring session if you're keen to upskill in telehealth. Today, I'm joined by Barbara Brecker, former client, personal trainer, and future EP student, if all goes well. She's got an amazing story and it's been super valuable for me and I know it will be really insightful for all our listeners to hear her lived experience with, with pain. So Barbara, thank you for making the time for us today. You're very welcome. So Barbara, tell us, tell us your story. Um, okay, so my story started about five years ago. I um, I was a musician, a pianist since I was very little, and a piano teacher for um, a few years before it all happened. And I decided to um, to prepare and then to pass the associate diploma in music here in Sydney, um, which required me to well, work really hard and prepare a huge recital and some learn some theory as well. Um, to be able to pass it, it was a very stressful, over a year that I had to spend on it. And during that time, I started experiencing some pain in my right hand. I probably just worked too hard, worked full time at the time. I had to practice, it was a very stressful time. And um, yeah, and the pain started getting worse and worse. I, unfortunately, at the time, I thought that it would be better to push through, to kind of keep practicing, finish the diploma, and then rest, and hopefully it will all go away. I've never had those kind of, um, well, that kind of pain before. I've practiced all my life since I was five, and it was a bit strange, but I thought, look, I'm really busy, really stressed. It's normal. There's a lot of work, so I'll just push through and it will be fine. So I did. I passed the diploma uh, with a really good result and decided to rest. Um, I probably rested at hand for about six or seven months. I didn't really play at all. Every time I would kind of get back to playing, the pain would come back. And at some point, I... I decided to look for answers because rest obviously didn't help. So I went to my GP. I talked to him about it. I got a referral to a hand specialist. I was told that it might have been tendonitis, but they were not sure. I was told that I should probably change my career since I was teaching full time at the time. So I also look, it's probably not for everyone. It's not. Um, Maybe you're just not up for it anymore, uh, which was, I guess, really devastating. At the time, that was my whole life. It was basically who I was. And then I was told that it's probably better to just give up and start doing something else. So um, I spent about a year trying to find a diagnosis, basically, find out what's going on. I thought that I might have injured myself, so I did all kinds of um, scans and tests possible. I've gone into um, doing some blood tests, trying to find out if that might have been an autoimmune disease, or it was just a lot of questions and no answers. So I've spent about a year and a lot of money <laughs> on um, basically all 
tests possible and all of them um, well came back negative so I was perfectly healthy I didn't have an injury none of the scans showed any damage in my tissues but the pain was really really bad so I've gone into um, a kind of a different piano training at the time more technical piano training and their method was supposed to cure um, injured musicians basically and injured pianists and I knew some friends that had really good results with it um, but it was based on basically moving in a way that's um, kind of optimal that's what they were claiming and moving and practicing and playing in a kind of perfect way so for me as a quite of a perfectionist person um, it made the whole problem worse it stressed me out a lot it was very difficult I tried my best and it actually made it worse so I ended up not being able to from not being able to play but still being able to kind of work with my students and work um, in the office as well as an admin person I ended up not being able to write or type or even cut veggies for dinner I wasn't really able to move my hands much I had to quit my job I had to quit my job as a teacher but also in the office because I just couldn't sit at the desk for, for about seven or eight hours typing it was the pain was excruciating so stayed at home for about a year I was still um, kind of teaching part-time um, and at the end I decided to quit teaching completely because it's very very painful to even show little things on the piano um, so yeah it was a really really difficult time none of the other doctors that I saw had any answers I did see a physiotherapist as well um, had treatment for about three months um, a lot of kind of nerve gliding stretching a lot of manual therapy done on me every session basically every week was a bit of a massage which I look it was pleasant it was a nice experience um, but ultimately it wasn't really changing anything for me so I did all the exercises I did all my homework um, I was very I was trying to be the best as I could, um, but that still didn't help, unfortunately. So I paid all that money, it's been three months, didn't help. Um, and I kind of decided that that's it at this point. Um, no one had any answers. I've spent a lot of money on it. I've put so much effort into it and no one really knew what was going on. So um, I think ultimately I thought that this, I think a lot of people think, that it was all in my head that maybe it's just not there and somehow I'm imagining it and I'm so stressed that maybe I'm creating the problem that's not really there um, which I think in the end you know the psychological um, kind of um, problem was also there but I couldn't really understand how to put it together with what I was experiencing and feeling at the time so um yeah stayed at home for about a year um didn't really know what to do i kind of worked part-time and it was it wasn't a great time let's say and then i think after a year and a half i guess um my husband who was at the time daniel's client um for a 
he had a different problem, but he said to me, look, this is the guy that I've been seeing recently. And I told him about you and we discussed it really briefly. And he said that he might be able to help. So my first answer was no. <laughs> um, just because I had really bad experience with um, all kinds of specialists, but also with physiotherapists. Um, not really them being, you know, mean or somehow, you know, unhelpful, but they wanted to help, but it just didn't really work for me. And I thought, you know, what are we going to do? And also, I didn't really know who exercise physiologists was, to be honest. I've never heard about EPs before. I didn't know what they were doing. I just thought that, you know, how come exercise and gym can help me? I was never really a, you know, a gym person. <laughs> before and I just thought I'm going to waste my money again and and come out of it with um, kind of false hope because all of those people they give you that sense of false hope they go oh we can fix you we can help you uh, we can solve the problem and you end up um, just being in a worse place than before um, but my husband was quite persistent and <laughs> and I think he was also you know it was hard for him to watch me suffering for so long He's like, look, there's nothing to lose. Just go and see him and see how you go. So I did. And I, I think Daniel still remembers it, but I don't think I was a very, well, I think I was nice, but I wasn't a very kind of pleasant um, client. I thought that um, I just didn't believe that it was going to help. So I went there because I was kind of forced. I was like, all right, I'll do it. And then I can tell my husband that I did it. So <laughs> um, he, he lets it go. Um, yeah, and then we started working together. That was about, I think, a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer, probably a year and a half ago, we started having sessions together um, probably every week in the beginning. Um, a lot of it, I don't know if you want me to get into it um, now. Um, so a lot of it was, I guess, talking. We did talk a lot in the beginning. Um, he, I think he was the first person who actually listened to the whole story that I had to tell. Um, so normally if I would go to another specialist, they would look at the previous test scans or test results, whatever I had, and they, they would look at the um, very kind of biomechanical part of the problems so that they go, oh, it could have been tendonitis, it could have been this, but we can't see anything. So let's dig deeper. And then at the end, they would say, look, we couldn't find anything. Uh, but Daniel actually listened to to the whole story. And and I think he was very creative with um, what we started doing in the beginning. He introduced me to some pain science, to um, kind of basics of how um, how the body works, how the brain works, what's the, the brain's role in um, in pain experience. So we talked about it. Um, he gave me some resources to, to watch and read, uh, which in the beginning I found very, very helpful since they kind of answered some of the questions that I had. Questions like, why do I get pain if I don't do anything? Why do I still get pain if I haven't been playing for a long time? That was my trigger. But now I don't do it anymore, but I'm still in pain. Why sometimes the pain flares up and sometimes it's um, it's fine. Some days, you know, are great and I don't feel anything. And some days are really horrible. So 
um, kind of digging deeper into the, the understanding of how the paid works was very helpful for me at the time. And I think we started um, doing little things, but very practical things. I remember typing and writing were the first things that I really struggled with. And um, they were very, I guess, um, everyday life things. So if you can't type or if you can't write, you know, you can't really work. Most of the jobs that we're trying to, to do or, or get um, include typing or writing somehow. Um, so we got into it first. Um, and I think we had, um, I guess, a bit of trouble um, to undo the things that I've learned before. So the technique that I've learned before was very much focused on doing things the right way, but they had their own one and only way to do things, to type, to write, to sit properly, to play the piano properly, you know, having a very kind of ergonomic workspace. There was a lot of it that I found very stressful because what they were claiming was, look, if you do it in a slightly different way, you're going to be in pain again. So you better just be, you know, 100% there or it's not going to work. Whilst Daniel kind of tried to undo it and we talked about the body being able to adapt, uh, you know, the body and the brain being really resilient and um, trying to do things in a different way was, I think, very liberating for me. Um, so, no, you don't have to, you know, play the piano in a certain way. You don't have to write or type in a very certain way to, to not to be in pain. You know, the body is much much stronger than that. You don't really have to do it perfectly to live without pain. And and I think it was really hard for me to to comprehend at the time because everything that I've learned in the last year or so working with these people was no, you have to do it that way, otherwise you're gonna end up suffering. Um, so I think it was a lot of patience and a lot of discussions there and conversations and me being very much up and down. I think a lot of the sessions were, you know, some of them were great and some of them I think were really tough and hard. And I know that a lot of patients that they go through it as well, you know, you've got your ups and downs and a lot of times when you've got a flare up and it hurts, you think, oh, it's just, why am I doing this? If it's not helping, if I'm still getting flare ups, it still hurts. It's, it's pointless. And I think it's one of the reasons why you need to work with someone so much. And that's why you can't do it on your own because that person can actually sit down and say, look, yes, you do have that pain. But if we look back five, six weeks or a month or two, you know, the, the amount of things and activities that you were able to do was here. Now you're there. You're in a very, very different space and you can do so much more or just a little bit more it doesn't really matter but you know that improvement is there and um and that means that you're going in the right direction so you know despite the fact that you feel like well that you don't feel great today um you can still have hope and kind of keep going so um so i guess that's that's what we did so we started from really practical things and then we moved on to um basically getting me stronger so certain movements and like let's say push-ups or having my wrist or my hand in, in certain positions 
um, was really scary and it was very painful. And also I was taught not to do it before. Uh, so bending my wrist in a certain way was a big no-no um, in my previous training. So I was really scared to do it. And we actually started off um, doing it together. So we started exploring and kind of, I wasn't taught to think that it's going to help, but I think Daniel tricked me into, <laughs> into seeing myself that those things are not dangerous. So we were doing them kind of step by step. They're really little things that we did um, from session to session. But he was like, look, what if we do this? And how do you feel? And, you know, is it better? Is it worse? Um, and it was interesting to kind of see for myself that um, that it's not as dangerous as I thought it would be. A lot of times I was told that if I do this, I'm actually going to hurt myself further. So don't do that because you're going to injure yourself or re-injure yourself. So you can't do it anymore, ever in your life. And I think it was very restrictive. But what we worked on was, no, look, um, you can still do it. Nothing's going to happen. So having that reassurance that, you know, I'm not going to hurt myself and I've got someone supervising me and, you know, I can feel safe here and try different things was, I found it to be very, very helpful. So we slowly moved on to strength training, um, mostly my upper body because that was my right arm, but my left arm had some problems as well. So um, we started off from that um, and it was very new for me. So I did train before. I trained boxing and I've trained some martial arts before, um, but it was never like a proper structured strength training that had a purpose. And I think um, that was something that I really needed. So, you know, feeling safe to move and having that ability to, um, to kind of feel free again and feel free in terms of just moving in everyday life so not thinking about you know how do i open the door how do i keep my hand when i open the door so i can prevent it from from hurting i didn't have to think about it anymore it was all you know just allow yourself to move the way you think it will be best um and don't be scared because you're not hurting yourself and i think we had a very similar um kind of homework or exercise in terms of piano playing so I was taught to play in a really you know bizarre way so I remember so kind of playing with one hand but not looking or sitting I think below the piano doing really weird, weird things which I found a bit I must say a bit ridiculous in the beginning I was like why would I do that how, how would it help me and then the more I dig kind of into into pain signs the more I understood that it's because we basically tricked my brain <laughs> into into adapting into not being so scared of different movements um, and it was difficult um, but I could see change I think within the first week of our sessions uh, my pain levels definitely went down um, we didn't solve the problem yet and you know it was still a long way to go um, but since no other specialist or no other person could produce those results not produce because it wasn't Daniel and it was our, you know we were working together um, but I, I was not able to have that kind of improvement with anyone else so um, yeah so I think that convinced me to 
to stick with our sessions and to keep going. Um, yeah, and, and since then we've worked together for quite a long time. I think I've gotten much stronger. I got back to work. Um, I didn't get back to teaching. I think um, it was still difficult and I'm still a kind of a chronic pain patient, so I still do have pain and it keeps coming back from time to time. Um, but I think, you know, um, I learned to manage it really, really well. I was able to get back to admin work, which was impossible before. And now, a year and a half ago, you know, I wasn't even able to to sit down and play a couple of notes on the piano. And someone who's been basically a professional for a long, long time, um, it was very difficult. But sitting here now, after you know, such a long time, it hasn't been such a long time, but a year and a half sounds like a long time. Um, you know, I could actually sit down and play and slowly get back to it um which i think is great you know it's not easy but it's definitely doable what a journey so, first yeah. of all that's that's, that's the story <laughs> up and downs from the from the start for sure and um yeah I, d I can definitely recall the the first few sessions the like what the hell is this what are you talking about and yeah like the doubt in the initial sessions. And I, I think that's completely normal considering what you had been through previously. Um, and how um, I must also commend that you were actively seeking further information. So it was an easier job mm. for me to, to be able to recommend and find some resources for you. Yeah. Cause you were always kind of actively seeking to know more and to learn more about, about what you had. Well, it was helpful, so um, so why not? You know, <laughs> it was the last chance to to actually, at least that's what I thought at the time, to to get better. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And also, we we definitely used your uh, martial arts history to to kind of capitalize on the on those push ups, and I knew that that was like a yeah. a way in for you. So it's it's quite a yes. it, it's quite cool how how you were able to get back into typing and and writing, what was that process like, getting back into those activities? Um, I think I kind of felt like a, a five-year-old in the beginning because, um, you know, I used to be, um, my writing style used to be very, quite beautiful when I was in high school and not being able to move my hand properly, it looked like it was a five-year-old writing at some point, very bizarre. Um, but I remember we, at least you gave me some, some homework and, and we had some exercises. I had some exercises to do. Um, so writing about, I think little things about, you know, how's my day been a couple of sentences or just, you know, one paragraph, something nice and easy. Um, so I think I'm still finding those, um, pieces of paper somewhere at home from time to time where I could where I would just sit down and write things down it looks terrible um, but I've noticed that you know trying to write down in kind of different um, different angles sitting kind of sitting at a table lying on the floor just not really focusing on you know the perfect way to do it but just doing it 
without thinking, I, I think that was really helpful. Um, with typing, I do remember we had similar exercises. So I was kind of taught to write little things, to, to write something about my day, or we would just talk about a certain topic and go, look, what if you just sit down and write a few words? Then we moved on to, I think, um, kind of setting, setting the timer. So looking at the time and going, all right, I've got a minute or 30 seconds. This thing, it started really, really kind of slow. So you think, you know, typing for a minute, it's nothing. It was huge for me at the time. So even going, you know, 10 seconds straight was, it seemed like a really, really big job. So we did that. It was, um, it was very much step by step, I think. Um, I think very difficult for I think for everyone who's been struggling with not being able to do things that everyone else can. So typing and writing is one of the, you know, the main things that we do every day and we learn it when we're very young. So it's like not being able to walk. It's just um yeah, I think it was really tough to get back to it in a way that um that I should be able to do it for so long, but I can't. So now I really have to kind of get back to basics and um, and do it really slowly and, you know, take my time and, like, really be patient with it. So that was the hardest, I think, being patient and really pacing myself and taking my time to do little things not jumping into, you know, um, I want to do it now and I want to do it for an hour. I'm a bit of a, you know, that kind of person. It annoys me when I have to go slow. I've always been a very busy person doing a lot of things at the same time, you know, learning the instrument, going to school, going to uni and working. So trying to take things slow was very, very difficult for me. And I think learning how to be patient was a big part of it. So, yeah. It's funny, the, uh, the graded approach and pacing makes a lot of sense. Doing it is another story, how there's, it's a lot harder to actually implement the, the graded uh, progressions as you did so well. And I think you're such a high achiever that it was hard for you as well. Um, it must have been so frustrating in the initial stages to be, to be um, kind of limited only to a few minutes of, of typing and, and writing, right? And then how, how long did that process take before you were able to, and how long were you, are you now able to type and, and write? I think at some point we decided that it would be at least healthier, I guess, for me to not to, or maybe I decided in my head, I'm not sure, but um, that it's not really um, helpful to kind of set up a very rigid time frame. Um, so I'm not thinking about it in a way, oh, you know, I can sit down and type for an hour. I don't know if I can type for an hour. I actually don't know if anyone can just sit down and type for an hour without breaks. Um, but what I wanted to get in the end of it was I want to type for as long as I need to, to do a certain task. So um, starting now, so if I want to do my assessment or if I've got a task to do, I just want to sit down and be able to do it without, you know, having that terrible fear that halfway through um, I'll just have to stop. 
Um, yeah, sometimes, you know, depending on the day also. So if I've had a really tiring, stressful day, I'm coming home after work, haven't slept well, and, you know, haven't had my dinner and I'm rushing to do something, it might be, you know, 15 minutes and like, oh, actually, it's, it's tingling, it's not comfortable. Um, but it's not scary anymore. So I take a little break and I get back to it and I know that I can finish it. So I actually don't know how long I can type for now, but I don't think it matters anymore. I think what matters is that I can finish that task, whatever it is. So I don't have to, you know, wait two days for the flap to go away. Yeah, it's a bit uncomfortable. I can have a little break, you know, get my cup of tea, come back to it and and finish it. So I could probably do it for an hour with little breaks, but then I think every now and then we do take breaks. Even, you know, that's a healthy people with no problems at all, they do take breaks. You, you're not really typing for an hour straight. You have those little breaks here and there to check your social media or to do something, you know, to grab something to drink. So um, I kind of stopped thinking about it in the way of, oh, you know, I can do this much or that much because it doesn't matter in, in the big picture. It, it's just, it doesn't matter. I can do things that I want to do. Um, yeah, maybe I'll have to be a little bit more mindful than other people. Maybe I'm not able to sit there for eight hours and just kind of keep working. Um, so I have to be a little bit more kind of not cautious, but just mindful of, of what's happening with my body. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm able to do it, which I guess is everyone's goals in the end. You just you want to be able to get back to things that you wanted to do that pain or injury didn't allow you to do before. And then that's where I'm at. So if writing, I don't think I really have a big problem anymore I just if I need to just sit down and make notes I can do it and I don't really get pain anymore so um, yeah it's no longer a threat and it goes with the it's as long as you can get the task done as long as you can get what you need yeah. done and uh, to hell with all those people that can do it for eight hours straight I don't know how they do it that's a different kind of training <laughs> stimulus we'd have to get into but yeah. yeah and and I think one of the big things that I took from that is you still have you can get flare-ups you still have pain and you now are able to to know what to do with it you've got the tools and resources now and i imagine that must have been a huge difference a bit of a paradigm shift initially when i asked you initially what would you be doing if pain wasn't an issue and like how did you kind of process that concept Oh, I think it's it's one of the most difficult questions that um, that always pop up in those those kinds of conversations. Um, I think initially, you know, the main I guess goal that everyone in pain has in the very beginning of their treatment is to get rid of pain. Um, but it is because pain prevents you from doing things that you really want to do. So for me, it was piano playing. My main goal coming to you was, oh, I want to get rid of pain when I'm playing the piano. And now when I actually try to do everything else in my life that I need to do, so typing, writing, even cooking, you know, making my own breakfast was difficult. I couldn't do it. Um, so that was the main goal. But then I think having a skilled therapist allows you to kind of, get 
through it and think about, um, I guess, shifting your mindset towards, all right, I still have that pain at the moment and I, you know, we're not, we haven't eliminated it, but are there things that I can still do while having that pain? I know it's it probably, you know, if there's a patient listening to it, it sounds really annoying. It's like, well, what do you mean? You know, I want to get rid of my pain, not do things. I want to get rid of it and then do things that I want to do. Um, but, you know, ultimately, at least for me, um, pain reduction was a side effect of focusing on things that were important to me. So what was important to me in the beginning, obviously it was piano playing, but I had other things as well. You know, I wanted to get back to work. I hated being at home. So typing and writing were one of those things and getting stronger, understanding that, you know, being stronger actually means that, at least for me, um, the pain levels would, would go down. So um, I don't think you can tell someone that, you know, that it's going to happen for them. I don't think that you can kind of give them a way to uh, to change that mindset. I think you, know, you just have to do it yourself. And I think you have to see it for yourself. Because if someone's telling you that's going to help, you don't have to believe them. Why would you? You know, you've been in this for so long. But if you start doing it yourself and kind of trust in the process, I guess, I think trust is a big word here that's just crucial. and um, in any kind of treatment and therapy that you're doing. So at some point, you do have to trust your um, therapist that, you know, whatever they're recommending is something that is going to help. So it's not blind trust because once you stop doing it, you see if it works for you or not. It might not work for you. Um, it did work for me really, really well, and that's why I stuck to it because I could see results, even if they were little, I could see them very quickly. Um, so you just have to trust it, you know, trying to get back to things that you love doing really, really slowly. I think a lot of people just want to get a fix and you get a quick fix and get back to their life really quickly because we're all so busy. No time to wait for six months until I can do things again. Like it's annoying. Um, but if you're thinking about your life in the long term, you know, it's not only six months, it's not only a year, it's going to be another 40, 60, 70 years, um, of your life when you have to have the skills to, to deal with it when that therapist is not there anymore. So I think trying to see a bigger picture, however annoying it sounds, <laughs> is, um, is really, really helpful. And just start doing it and see if it works for you. For me, again, not focusing on reducing the pain, but focusing on actually kind of acknowledging what's happening to me, um, understanding how does it work? How does the pain work? Why do I hurt when I shouldn't be? Or why do I hurt when I just had a really tiring day, but I didn't really do anything that would normally cause a flare-up so trying to understand what happens and then finding ways to deal with it um, I think is really useful but also not kind of shutting yourself down that's what I did for a long time just sat at home and you know 
took my pain meds and, and I hoped for it all to, to go away. It didn't work. What worked was actually let's try to do things. Let's try to play a little bit of piano. Let's try to do push-ups. They were very painful at the time. But look, let's try to do one. Or let's try to do them on your knees. Or just let's try things and see how your body responds to it. And it might surprise you how well it responds to it. And it's great to have a goal as well. I think a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of um, hopelessness when you're in pain. You just think it's never going to end. That's my life now. It's just going to hurt. I'm going to be at home. I'm going to have, you know, terrible days every day. Nothing's going to change. Um, but I think that's one of the worst things that can happen. So definitely try to get out there. Try to find a therapist who um, wants you to have tools in a long term, not someone who promises you to, um, to, to fix you and then you have to keep coming back every week or so to get your fix or whatever it is and then you can work and then you have to get back to them because what if they go away? What if something happens and they move and then you're left with that big hole and you don't know what to do with it? So I think, you know, getting back that control of your life and trying to find things that you love doing and learn how to do them. Maybe again, I had to learn how to do things again and again, learn how to type again, how to write again, how to play the piano again. It's not the same as it used to be, but it's moving towards that direction. Um, but it just it takes time. And then once your mindset shifts, I think, you, you I guess you'll get better. I did. Uh, I can't tell anyone if they will. Um, but for me, it really worked well. So I think finding the right person to work with, someone you trust and, um, and someone you want to do it with, have that journey together is, is crucial. So, yeah. The, the support at the start is so valuable and having that idea of the person perhaps saying not we can fix you, but here's how you can, here's what you can do. Let's experiment. Let's try. And then it's a two way process, right? We oh, need to yeah. build the trust in the impatience and, and you trusted yeah. me in, in the process. Look, a hundred percent, you know, a hundred percent. I think uh, if someone's fixing you, then it's not healthy in the long term. They might fix you now, but you're the one who has to live with it until until you die. Um, so um, you have to have those tools to, to deal with it. I'm a big advocate of just being um, independent in that term. So being in control. And, and I think that's what you need from your therapist. So you need trust, you need them to listen to you and give you an ability to, to deal with it, not do it for you. I don't think anyone can do it for you um, in the long term. Short term, yeah, maybe, but long term, I don't, I don't think so. So, yes, definitely, it's, it's, it's a teamwork in the end. Amazing. And your, what, what have been the, the recent achievements? You, we haven't talked about how strong you, you were when, when all the gyms were, back, were, were open. What were some of the, your proudest moments in the gym, Barbara? In the gym, um, well, doing a push-up, uh, doing 10 push-ups, I think, uh, doing a push-up first, but then we had one of the sessions when I did 
eight or nine, almost 10 push-ups straight, proper push-ups that I've never been able to do before. Despite the fact that I've trained martial arts and we did a lot of push-ups and burpees, then I could never actually do a proper um, push-up on my toes. So getting about eight or nine of them done in a row was a huge achievement for me. And that was one of the positions that my hand um, felt really uncomfortable um, in, in, the begin in the very beginning. So yeah, push-ups, um, deadlifts. Uh, I am a big fan of, of deadlifting. And, um, and also that was one of my hardest lifts, I think, in the beginning. It was really difficult for me to, to do it properly with really light weights and it was really annoying and my back was hurting and I just, I couldn't get it for some reason. I got really annoyed as I do when I can't get something quickly. Um, so, <laughs> um, so we found a way to, to, um, to work together and to finally teach me deadlifts. I think moving on to heavier weights was a, was a solution. Just getting into that heavy weight, it was a challenge and I just had to do it right or I couldn't do it at all. So getting, I think, 80 kilo um, deadlift was, um, yeah, was great. One of the biggest achievements, definitely. Um, heavy squats as well, you know, getting up to a 50 kilogram um, squat, it was a big, big thing for me as well. So I was kind of stuck on, on really kind of 20 kilo for a long time. So um, yeah, just heavy lifting was great and I think it gave me a you know um, that feeling of strength but also self-control self-control being able to control I like to lift things with my hands when I you know wasn't able to lift a pen or a you know a spoon to to eat dinner now I can lift 80 kgs deadlift 80 kgs that was for me it was it was huge it was huge so and also I think it was a, a proof that you know the body is so resilient and it can adapt to so many things I could never imagine myself doing it not in you know in a hundred years someone would have told me you know two years ago when I was in that excruciating pain oh you'll be deadlifting 80 kilos and in two years I'd be like yeah no because I'm gonna break down or I'm gonna re-injure myself and you know never move my hand again so yeah definitely that was a big achievement yes so it's not just the the muscle strength per se it's also the the confidence now that you have in being able to mm. to do those things yes yes of course look the, the pain still comes back and even the pain that doesn't relate to to my chronic pain so back pain yeah, I still do get back pain sometimes when I'm deadlifting, but it's it's not scary anymore. Having that knowledge of all right, this is why it happened, and you know, there's nothing to worry about most of the time, um, is very comforting. So, yeah. Awesome, and you're on the journey of getting healthier and stronger, and and also on on your studying journey. So you've been inspired yes. to tell us a bit more about your personal training and. Um, so since I stopped teaching piano, I, um, it was, it was forced in the beginning because I couldn't do it. And I think at some point I, um, I decided it's not something I actually want to get back to, even if now I think you know, physically I could, it's not something that I want to do. 
anymore. I think that uh, part of my life has kind of been left behind. I decided to to start doing something else. Uh, but seeing how you know my strength training and, and working with uh, with you as well helped me so much. I thought that maybe I could do it too. You know, I've gone through that journey, and I I do know some people um, who are struggling with the chronic pain and you know no one's really um helped them for so many years and they're kind of stuck in the same place they can't get out and i thought it would be great to use that knowledge and use that horrible experience because you know pain is a horrible thing that happens especially if it's um over so many years it would be great to use it to help other people and since I've been teaching for a long time I thought look I don't teach music anymore but I could be teaching people how um how to deal with things like pain how to deal with things like not even chronic pain but pain at the gym pain you know um back pain or neck pain which a lot of people have at the moment you know working long hours and sitting down for a long time and I thought you know, I loved all that knowledge. I loved all the resources that I got from you and I've really dug deep into it and I thought I could um, use that drive to to help other people and to pass on that knowledge, which I, I still think it's just not very kind of well-known. All that biopsychosocial model um, is not something that people know about. There's still a lot of kind of, um, you know, myths and um, things that are not true as we know now. Um, the research changes and um, a lot of trainers and a lot of therapists as well are not um, up to date with, with the newest research. So, um, you know, being able to, to be that person that um, just tells the truth, I guess, or at least whatever we know at the moment that's been proven um would be good for, for the community and for other people that I know that are struggling with very similar problems to mine. So I yeah had a that big you know motivation to, to do something about it. So I talked with Daniel and I said look oh, I love to be in the UK, I want to go to uni. <laughs> um and then we talked about it and that was kind of halfway through I think uh our sessions at the time. I can't remember exactly um but he said to me look it would be good to start off from a personal training certificate and see how you go see if that's still something that you know you want to be doing um and it was an easy start also i could start doing it online whilst they're working so i did and i really really enjoyed it i uh completed my cert very fairly quickly and and I really did enjoy the learning part. I do love learning new things. And it was something new. Then I found out that a lot of experience that I had from teaching can be used in um, teaching fitness, teaching people how to, well, not how to move, but how to move efficiently or help them to, to adapt or help them to be, um, you know, confident in what they're doing so i started working as a fitness instructor uh, about a month i think after i finished my course i started working for f45 one of the f45 gyms 
and I did it on a casual basis working somewhere else, but I really did enjoy it. Um, you know, now all the gyms are closed, so we unfortunately we, we can't do it. Uh, but I think it was, it was great. It was great to have an experience. At the same time, it was interesting to see, you know, how other trainers work, what they do to learn from other people and kind of take away things that I thought were great and useful um, while, you know, um, while also passing on some knowledge that I had and kind of having those discussions with, with other people. So, yeah, so at the moment, um, halfway through my set four, I'm hoping to, to finish it um, pretty soon um, and hoping to go to, to uni soon. <laughs> awesome. It's, it's going to be uh, so cool to see you moving forward into the future with, with this passion that you have, this drive to help others and, and to teach others using your, your teaching skills. And you, mm-hmm. you know more than, me, than I did after my four years of exercise physiology <laughs> already. So it's, going to be really cool (laughs) and so Barbara looking at what you know now your experience and um, perhaps what what you've read and seen um, what advice would you would you give to clinicians working with people who are experiencing pain Um, I think one of the main things that they should know is that first of all you should listen um a lot of um i've only seen a couple of physiotherapists before i have met daniel but a lot of times you get your diagnosis really quickly so you get in you, you barely told you know told them what's what's been happening and you go oh, you know that's what it is that's what we're going to do and we'll make you better so I think you just have to listen a little bit more. Just sit down, you know, don't say much and listen to to the whole story and and try to be, you know, try to validate that person's experience. So try to make them feel like, you know, they've come to the right place and they're not being judged. A lot of people have different beliefs. I have really strong beliefs about, you know, how I should be moving. And I believed it really, really hard. I was like, this is what I have to do to be out of pain. Don't tell me not to. Because I know that that's what's causing me pain. And I was very strong about it. And I think if Daniel would have told me, oh, no, you're not right. You know, I know that the body is being adaptable and we can change it and and you're not correct and we'll we'll fix it. I would have walked away. I wasn't ready to, to hear it yet. It was my very strong belief. Um, so I think, you know, work with people's beliefs, try to, you know, influence them to, to start thinking about it on their own and to, to get to those conclusions on their own. I think there's a lot of ways and tools, it's not a great word, but let's say tools to, to do it, the, you know, um, motivational interviewing or, or ACT or, uh, or even CBT might be used, but something that, you know, will be helpful in um, talking to the patient in a way that they feel validated and they feel like, you know, you want to help them, but you don't want to force them or prove them wrong. I think a lot of times we're being proven wrong. It's, it's, and that's why people come out of those sessions thinking, oh, it's all in my head. 
because I was told that it's, it's my brain's input. So the pain is the brain's, um, sorry, output, the brain's output. So it's all in my head. So it means that, you know, your communication skills are not good enough or the patient wasn't listening. You know, it, it can be um, on both sides, but uh, I think being able to communicate really well is something that's so, so needed. So I think a lot of my conversations or my sessions with Daniel, we just talked. So we didn't have any specific assessments or anything that was very much, you know, um, assessments in terms of physical assessments. Our first session wasn't about it. It was about me talking, basically, and probably crying at some sessions as well and just being really like, you know, uh, kind of broken down because my life was basically broken at the time. So listen, validate, communicate really well. I think seeing all those specialists, it didn't matter to me, you know, what kind of degree they had. I didn't care. I just wanted them to actually listen and believe me, believe that what I'm telling them is real. Even if it sounds crazy that, you know, I heard when I shouldn't be, it was still, it was my truth. So I think that's something that, that should really be, be there. And, you know, work with the person, not with the problem, if that makes sense. So that person in front of you is, you know, it's not a, you know, um, painful hand like I was. It's not a broken knee. It's not a back pain ex. <laughs> it's Barbara or it's someone else who's got all of those goals and values and beliefs and, you know, that's who they are. So work with them. Even, you know, looking at my husband, who's a very different person to me, um, when I talk to him about how his sessions look like, and his problem is very, very different as well. Um, but Daniel works with us very differently. So we are different people. We have different goals. He expects different things from his therapy. He, he's not one of those people who talk a lot about the problem. He wants results. And we are very different, um, but what matters is that, you know, you just work with that person um, in a different way because it's still a person in front of you. So um, I guess that, that's the most important advice I would give to any clinician, just to see them as people, not as diagnosis, and, and really listen, validate. And you'll go a long way because that's how people trust you. And if they trust you, they're really going to do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to stick to you and they're going to stick to what you say and they're going to believe you because you've earned that trust so then if there's something they're not really happy to do you can still that trust will will kind of um you know convince them to try even if they don't want to and this is what you want in the end you know you know that you have that knowledge you can help someone now you have to basically convince them that this is what they should be trying and then should be doing so yeah all the the soft skills that are actually pretty hard and so valuable oh yes yes they are and even you know doing my certificate three and four um all we learn a lot about you know programming and anatomy and the human body and there's a lot to learn but it doesn't teach you how to actually work with people 
you have all that knowledge, you know how to program a really complicated, you know, 60-minute program for, you know, muscle tension or muscle hypertrophy or whatever it is, um, but you actually don't know how to talk to that person and and work with them because it's still a person. So um, I think there's a lot of courses available out there now that, that you can take and, or as, as you know, as Daniel mentioned, he's he's doing mentoring and there's a lot of people that do that as well so reach out to someone who has got experience who who can really help you with practical things you know case studies real life uh problems reach out and, and do that with them you know um and i think it's, it's extremely helpful to to have that platform now to be able to do it online everywhere wherever you are you can do it now it's awesome especially now when we just, you know, we can't get out, we just have to stay at home. It's, it's a great time to, to upskill because, you know, what else, what else is to do now? <laughs> right. And yet getting the, the real life stories such as, such as yours, Barbara, is, is super helpful to, to conceptualize everything and to realize that we're not dealing with just a, a wrist, just a knee, just a back. We're, mm. we're dealing with a person. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So yeah, thank you for giving me the chance to, to talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And um, I know that you also uh, authored a blog on pain chat. So could you tell us a little bit more about that blog post? And I'll, I'll also share it in the, in the course notes, in the um, podcast notes. So um, yeah, from, I think, from the moment when I decided that I want to study fitness and then um, go towards helping people in pain. I uh, actively kind of searched for other platforms to to be able to to voice my um, my opinions and and to to share my story to to hopefully help other people with it. So uh, I was invited to be one of the authors on on Pain Chats. So uh, at this point, there's only one article there, but uh, very kind of close to to me and to, to who I am uh, so it's a perfectionist um, guide to pacing so uh, I think you know a lot of people in pain uh, have that um, problem of kind of slowing down and pacing themselves through the day you know we're not able to do things the way we, uh, we used to do you know especially people who are who used to be very busy and who are perfectionists as, as I am so people who like to do things really well so once you do something you want to do it really well you want to do it 100% you want it to be you want it to be perfect and a lot of time pain gets in the way of doing it perfect because again you can't sit down for three hours and finish your task because it hurts or because you're going to pay for it later you can do it and you can push through the pain but then you're going to have a flare flare up for three days it's just not worth it so what I did I thought about it and I thought it would be good to um, create a really simple guide um, to give you tools to kind of pace yourself through the day or pace yourself through um, you know through the tasks that you have to do whether it is at work or at home to kind of be able to be mindful to listen to your body, to slow down, to to breathe, to have that patience, um, and you know, 
have the ability to just stop when you need to um, and to have the confidence that, look, it's not like I'm not doing it, which is hard for a person like me to just give up and, and decide to, to not to do something. It's just that I'm taking it a little bit slower. It's, you know, I'm allowing my body to, um, you know, to, to rest a little. To I'm taking my time and I'm still doing it. It's just more structured, you know. It's I'm doing it for 10 minutes, taking a little break, another 10 minutes. It all adds up to those three hours that you had to spend. You just have to give yourself an extra time to, to finish the task, but also, um, you know, don't feel guilty about it. I think the main message from that um, article is also to, to not to feel guilty that some things take a little bit more time. You're still achieving things. Um, it's just not, let's say, as crazy as it used to be. So um, don't feel guilty. Just, um, you know, listen to, to your body. Be mindful. Be in the moment. Just don't worry about, oh, you know, I used to do it in three hours. Now it takes me five and feel guilty and weak and, you know, I feel like a failure. No, it's just, it takes you a little bit longer. But you're still capable of doing all of those things. And in time, to be honest, it gets easier. Once you stop being so hard on yourself, it just gets easier. So basically that guide is for people who, like me, are feeling guilty and sometimes feeling a bit like a failure if they can't achieve something really quickly in the way that they used to and now pain is kind of a little in a way of um of how they like doing things but not if they can do them we can still do them it's just a little bit different so yeah awesome promoting that self-compassion for for people to to forgive themselves and and also know that it's a long process and if people were to yeah. to reach out to you in on instagram facebook where can we where can we find you so I always laugh, it's really simple, but Instagram is Barbara Exercises, so it's nice and simple. Uh, and Facebook, it's Barbara Exercise, um, Hub, Barbara's Exercise Hub. So um, definitely do that. Uh, I think Pain Chats also has a, uh, you can just leave a comment uh, to the article that I uh, get a notification so I can see um, what, you've, uh, what you've written. So um, yeah, definitely. Once again, Barbara, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. And this was the, the third attempt of this podcast. So I appreciate your, your patience <laughs> and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for listening. And yeah, you too. Thanks.